Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast presented by Scentlock. You guys know my my absolute obsession with Scentlock and their carbon technology for maximum odor absorption. Go check out Scentlock, guys, for all of their new products, especially their new Divergent series, which is absolutely uh, the warmest series that I've ever put on in my entire life. Um, and I'm excited to get into December with it. So go check out Scentlock, all of their new products. They have an incredible lineup that will get you from early season to late season. I've got a special guest. Um, I've got Mr. Baker Black from the Black Rifle Coffee Company. How are you, Baker? I'm great. And just to clarify, that makes it sound like I am Mr. Black Rifle Coffee. Cause, so my name is Baker Black Levitt, and my Instagram handle is Black Baker. Everybody calls me Black Baker. But, yes, I work for Black Rifle. I'm not just a Baker Black, Black Rifle. It just sounded strange. But You're just not to Mr. Clarify, Black. Yeah, no, I'm not Mr. Black. Mr. Black was my grandfather. You know, I actually thought of that uh, first time I met you. Uh, you said my name is Baker Black, and I'm like, man, it you you had to work for a coffee company, like just from birth, like had well, to. Well, my whole well, I didn't start drinking black. Uh, I didn't start drinking my coffee black until I started working for Evan at Black Rifle. Um, I've always been like a big cream and sugar guy, and it's interesting. I think personally, black black coffee is an acquired taste, but once you kind of start getting into it and reading a little bit about it and learning a little bit more about coffee, the only way to drink it is black. Because, like, to drink coffee with cream or sugar in it is sacrilege. It is a sin. I won't judge you because that's not my position to judge. That's the Holy Father's position. That's what it says (laughs) in the Bible. But But I will will tell you this. It it, it is. You should. And then also, you know, one other thing, since we're talking about coffee, one other thing that's really interesting about coffee is understanding the different types of roasts. You know, you got your light roast, your medium roast, your dark roast, and your extra dark. And the lighter the roast, the heavier the caffeine content. Most people don't realize that. Your average person does not know that lighter roasts have the most caffeine. Extra dark has the most flavor, but the dark, the lighter the roast, the heavier the caffeine content. You didn't know that, did you? I did know that. I'm a coffee connoisseur. You did. Okay, that's right. Yeah, actually, I did know that about you. So there we go. Yeah, so you do know that. But most people, you'd be surprised. They think light roast, oh, that's pansy. They usually equate, equate light to like a light beer. So like Mick Ultra, you know, or Miller Light, which I, that's my Miller Light and Coors Light are my favorite beers. But um, they think it's like they automatically equate it to like less calories or something. Um, yeah, I drink coffee black. Uh, I, do, I drink a French press. That's my preferred manner of consumption. Um, but I, I, I also think, and for many backcountry hunters listening, our instant coffee, in my opinion, is the best instant coffee in the world. And I, when I hunt, I drink. Uh, we were at the farm this past weekend, and I, you know, it's a house and the kitchen and all that stuff, and I drink instant coffee because it's quick and I like it. You know, I had your instant coffee, and this is not a coffee podcast, so don't just tune out if you don't like coffee. Um, but I had your instant coffee not too long ago for the first time. I was in Chatfield at our Pope and Young offices, and there was some instant coffee. And I'm like, I'll give her a shot. And uh, it's pretty good. Now, I'll tell you my where I draw the line on uh, cream and sugar. You know, when I was growing up, um, my mom and my grandmothers liked cream and sugar in their coffee. My dad and their, my grandfathers liked black coffee. So as a kid, I always called it boy coffee and girl coffee. 
Um, and then growing up, I liked girl coffee because I was a little kid. Um, I've liked coffee my whole life, and but I liked it girl coffee. Well, then in high school, I traveled to uh, a fantastic country by the name of Brazil. Their coffee, we get get coffee from there. Oh my gosh, dude! I remember I was probably sixteen years old, and uh, they gave me this little shot glass of the thickest, richest, darkest coffee you've ever seen in your entire life, and I've never put cream and sugar in coffee since. Really, that's actually awesome. I like to hear stuff like that. Yeah, it, it changed me. It changed me. Um, and then I did. I really didn't get into other brewing methods. Uh, I would. I'd probably say it was my brother that got me into into you know uh, different brewing methods because I used to just put it in a, a pot and go. And then you know, it was a few years back. I finally got a pour over and and then a French press. And and now I'm all about the AeroPress. That's pretty much how I make my coffee at home is an AeroPress. But yeah. um, yeah, I've just uh, I, I've learned to enjoy it. I like it. So now that we've gotten the coffee talk out of the way, let's talk about hunting. Yeah, yeah, no more coffee talk. Uh, however, I how's am enjoying your, coffee. How's your season going? It sucks. It sucks so <laughs> bad. Um, I that's why I, that's why I let you go first because I know yours will be quick, and then mine will probably take a little bit longer. You know, uh, that's I, I, I'm excited to look at the vast contrasts of of seasons because I. Um, Somebody put a post out this week. I think it was, uh, I don't remember. It was a decoy company. I don't, I don't remember who it was. Um, and they said, playing cat and mouse this week. And I, I responded back with, um, yeah, but I don't know if I'm the cat or the mouse. Uh, because they've been ahead of me the entire year. I uh, This is the second year I've had on this property. Uh, let me just preference this first. Actually, before we dive in, um, it is right now, it is November um, the 17th. So we are in the heat of it. Uh, we're in the heat of it, and and uh, you know I actually really enjoy the tail end of the rut, especially here in Kansas. Uh, during the peak of the rut, it's it's hard to nail down a deer uh, because they're they're everywhere. But in the in the later part of the rut, you can really uh, catch them chasing those last couple does, um, and it becomes a, a lot better hunting in my in my opinion. Um, now. I've had this property for two years. My second year, last year, I had a set, and and it was a phenomenal set that I I had hung, and I ended up shooting a, a pretty nice buck out of that set. But I watched deer constantly go um, about two hundred yards away to another place, and so this year, I tagged out pretty early last year, and so I didn't worry about moving it last year. This year, uh, I moved the stand to where those bucks were going to last year. Hold on, let's wait a minute. Let's let's take a waypoint real quick. I want to I want to make a point here. So what you did was you hunted memories, not conditions, and that is a problem that a lot that, that that's a mistake that a lot of hunters and anglers make. Oh man, I saw him here last year. Man, I was tearing him up catching him here last year. I caught my biggest bass here three years ago, and a lot of people that they I call it hunting memories, not the conditions that you're sitting in. Now you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. However, um, this it 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 stayed true. All, all of the deer were coming to that area. However, uh, the first sit of the year, I got busted. Deer got downwind. They blew and bolted. I'm like, dang, you know, whatever. Uh, turns out this place that I was trying to hunt, I didn't know because from where I was sitting last year, I didn't know that deer came from another direction as well. And and so. It, it was like two weeks of constantly being busted by different winds. And I'm like, there's no way to hunt this stand. Like there's just no way. Um, and so I pulled out of there and actually last night, um, I told my wife, I'm like, I'm just going to go do an observation sit because I can't figure out this property. I can't figure out where they're coming from and where they're going. Um, well, turns out I saw a lot of deer coming from an area. And so I walk over there and, uh, it explained a lot to me. I call one of my buddies who knows the property well. And I'm like, dude, there's a stinking feeder. Uh, one of the other farmers runs a feeder over there. So no wonder they're coming from an area you never would have guessed them to come. That um, makes <laughs> and so anyways, last night, uh, I, I'm excited because I really believe that tomorrow and Thursday my season is going to turn around because um, I pulled out of that spot, did an observation set, um, and I hung a noose. So I, I hung a set, and then I went and did an observation set. Um, and I had two shooters come in front of that new set that I hung last night. Uh, so now I can sneak back in there this week and, and really be on the attack now. And, and I think I've nailed it down, but just a rough season, man. And then I head to Oklahoma, um, 
and you look at the the predictions, the rut predictions on Huntcast, and and uh, you know I looked at temperature and pressure and wind direction, and and the, uh, the outfitter that I was hunting with down there, uh, Liberty Ranch, he was like, dude, this is the best set. Like this is a, a money set. He was showing me day after day of daylight shooters, and I'm like, good lord, this is going to be phenomenal. And uh, I caught him on like it had to have been the first day of the lockdown because he had. I was hunting on a th- on a Friday, I believe. Yeah, Friday, and he had daylight pictures of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of shooters showing up. Friday, I did an all day sit. Weather was perfect, pressure was perfect, wind direction for this stand was perfect, and I sat for twelve hours and didn't see one stinking deer. Um, Dude, and I'm so, like, it, it, you know what, man? It is it is absolutely fascinating to me how it goes from because you know, like we have it's pre ruddy, and then it's locked down, and then it's peak rut and not all you know like there there is a the most distinct of those three and then we'll say secondary rut which is number four of those four times that whitetail hunters spend a lot of time in the woods the one that doesn't deviate from its name is lockdown in my opinion like it all of a sudden you're like i think it's pre-rut yeah it's pre-rut or it's peak rut you know but when it's locked down you're like oh it is 100 percent locked down like it just yeah. everything changes overnight. All the time, um, yeah. yeah. There's no like, and there's no drift. There's no like, oh, I think we're in lockdown. No, no, no. You're in lockdown. Yeah, there you was know? no like. That's what sucked is like I planned this whole. Um, it's only a couple hour drive for me, and so I left. I left late on a Thursday night. Got the kids in bed. Left late. Got there at like midnight, and uh, and, and woke up at like four. Um, and I planned this whole, I'm like, this is going to be a money day, man. He had been sending me pictures. I'm like, this is it. And, uh, set for 12 hours. I'm like, I just wasted a trip to Oklahoma. Like I just burned a trip, you know? Um, right. Because there, there was no indication of it coming. And, and that's, what's so hard about the lockdown. But I also think it's important to, to immediately take note of when that lockdown takes place. Uh, so you can begin to predict and understand when the lockdown will end. Right. So I so I like the Huntwise app. We use it down at, at, at our farm in Americas, um, and it's great. However, for us, it's a little bit. It's off by about four days. Um, so it said the lockdown should have ended, and we should be entering peak rut, and like right when our lockdown kicked off. So it's about four or five days, kind of delayed for us. The peak rut it was right on, but like I think so. And you got to keep in mind, man, like. So where I hunt whitetails is in America's Georgia. And um, it's our, dude, our weather, like we'll, we'll have a low. Let me give you some exact, some exact numbers. Like this is how drastic our, our temperature changes are. So here we go. Okay. So the low today was 36 this morning and the high today is 75. Okay. Uh, Wednesday, we got a low of 40, a high of 80. Thursday, 54.81. Friday is 45.66. Saturday's 41.66. Sunday's 46.72. And then like next Tuesday, it's 37 and 57. So like our temperatures are just all over the place, man. Like we don't have like a consistent cold front or cold snap come through. So for us, it's, you know, it's just like, I think our, our rut period and, you know, pre-rut, post-rut, second rut, lockdown, all that stuff, it's, it's a little bit wonky, man. Like it's, it's, you can nail it some days and some days you're like, Hey man, let's just happen. Like, there's 35 deer in this field last night. There's not a deer here today. Like, what's going on? So, yeah, man, it's interesting. But I, I am a fan of the Huntwise app. Like, I do, I do think it's a really good, like, kind of basis to run, base a bunch of stuff off of. But and what I, what I, here's what I want to tell everybody about the Huntwise app. I made a post the other day, um, and basically it was the the camera was on the phone and it showed a five deer day and and then the camera panned out and there was a buck standing 12 yards from me um looking back i wish i would have shot that buck um <laughs> i remember the deer you're talking about yeah <laughs> uh and and it panned the camera panned out and somebody's like well it's not always right let me preference this huntwise there's a lot of things that huntwise cannot determine huntwise cannot determine that that you know cattle are going to come into your to your set that morning and run your hunt cat right. uh, hunt wise cannot determine that you know the neighbor's dog um just ran off a buck out of its bed that was going to come to you now it's not like it can't it right. can't determine a lot of outside factors and it, you know 
just because it shows great day doesn't mean it's going to be a great. And just because it shows bad day doesn't going to mean it's be a bad day. But it's a tool that helps you understand all of the data points that we try to as hunters collect in our mind. And it puts it on one platform to easily look at. That's that's all yeah. it is. It gives you the scientific data. It cannot control wild animals. I haven't found exactly. anything that can control wild animals yet. Exactly. Um, so. so I'm anxious. Before I ask you this, though, I do need to give a quick thank you to our friends over at Three Rivers Archery. Uh, your one-stop shop for everything traditional. Um, whether you need some new arrows for this fall, whether you need uh, a new Selway quiver or broadheads or whatever it is, a clicker, um, they're your one-stop shop for all things traditional. They are the largest in-stock um, traditional retailer there is. So head over to threeriversarchery.com uh, to get all of your traditional equipment because they are a absolute powerhouse when it comes to traditional, not only equipment, but knowledge. So um, they are knowledgeable on all the products that they sell. So go check out our friends over at Three Rivers Archery. Uh, Baker, the question I want to ask and, and what I really want to get down to is when you're having a sucky season, when, when you're just, when you're behind all the time, when you can't figure out uh, how to hunt deer, um, in, in, in any given year or in a, any given place, you know, um, what, what do you start to do? What steps do you start to take to, to try to turn around that season? So, uh, one, the first thing you have to do is remove emotion. And the pity party and the feeling sorry for yourself, like that is the first thing that you have to get rid of. This, then the second thing you got to get rid of is like anxiety and stress and pressure. Because anxiety, I have, I have never in my life had anyone in any realm that I, that I exist in explain to me how stress or anxiety or feeling sorry for yourself or being emotional has helped anyone solve any problems in the history of the world. So those are things, those are, those are just negative things that you add into uh, the equation that just makes your likelihood of success even lower. And the one thing that I decided, this is, this has been my best fall of my lifetime. I'm 45 years old. I've been hunting since I was 15. So I've got three decades doing this. I'm not saying that like I'm a great hunter, but like I've, I've hunted, on four continents in 20 something states. I've, and I have a really good time hunting. Um, I am by no means a great hunter, like not even close. Uh, there's a lot of things I'm really good at and I'll tell you about them. But like, I just, I'm really good at having fun and enjoying the process. But this year I decided that I was going to base my entire fall, my success on making good decisions. I didn't care if I kill a deer I don't care if I kill an elk. I don't care if I shoot something with my bow, muzzleloader, rifle, whatever. The only thing I cared about was when this season was over and I hung up my camo and hung up my bow and my rifle, I wanted to look back and just say, I made the right decisions at all the right times. And so far, I've done that. So I started in Nebraska in early September, uh, spot and stalk, uh, velvet muley buck. And I've always wondered, like, why anyone would chase velvet muley bucks with a bow when they could go chase elk. And I figured it out this fall because that's one of the coolest hunts I've ever done in my life. And it was unbelievable. All right, so that was in Curtis, Nebraska. Um, and then I was with uh, Sand River Outfitters. I believe that's the name of the outfitter. I, let, me, let me confirm that real quick. And then there's another similar name that doesn't have a lot of great stuff um sand river outfitters um that is that's who i hunted with in um in curtis nebraska it was unbelievable like two truly awesome man um and then two weeks later i was in uh southern colorado elk hunting and well so in curtis nebraska i shot a not really nice four by four full velvet and then two weeks later i was in uh, southern idaho right outside of trinidad colorado and I shot a 381-inch bull elk, all right? And then the next day, I shot a 400-pound color phase black bear, all right? And then you came home, uh, shot a couple uh, does with the bow, and then uh, a couple, two, let's see, November the 5th, so 11 days ago, I shot a whopper of a whitetail, like just super wide which is what I absolutely love is wide, wide racks 
like a, a like that Texas look, uh, just a hammer. Um, and the the on the mule deer and on that elk, there were offered there were situations where I had to make decisions that were the right decisions that I didn't want to do. Like I wanted just to send it, and I was like, you know what? Not this isn't right. I'm not going to do it. Um, like I had interactions with that elk every morning and afternoon for, and I finally shot him on the third the third morning. Um, the bear, I had multiple interactions with him. Finally got him on the fourth afternoon. Um, and the whitetail, um, Buck, I, he came out, um, it wasn't dark. It was legal shooting light, I'll say, but it wasn't legal shooting light, if that makes any sense. Like, it wasn't, I'll call it legal shooting light. It wasn't ethical shooting light. How's that sound? That, 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 that makes sense. And I was sitting there staring at him with my binos, and I could see his beams. He was, like, kind of under a tree. It was kind of dark where he was standing. And I was like, God, he's super wide. He's got good mass. And I was looking, looking, looking. And, um, and I was like, wait a minute. I think, yeah, he's a shooter. Wait a minute. What am I doing? That's definitely a shooter. So by the time I got ready, like, a doe had entered the back of the food plot, and he had moved off to the back of the food plot. Um, and so didn't work out, and then he just kind of walked out of the field. And then that afternoon, that evening, um, I had another opportunity at him on a different uh, field, in a bean field, and um, it worked out and dropped him, and it was wonderful. And then also, like, um, shot a few pigs. That's always good. And then um, a few does. Melissa, my girlfriend, shot a couple does. That's always awesome and exciting. My nephew, Gavin, who's 12, um, actually he's 13 now. He's a teenager. Congratulations, Gavin, if you're listening, which I know you're not. But um, he uh, he shot a few does. Um, and then my brother, trying to get my brother on a big buck. You know, he's new to hunting, and uh, he's had a couple interactions with some deer. And, like, I've also, I'll tell you this, I've passed on a couple hammers. I mean, dude, I'm talking hammers um, that were just too young, like three and a half, you know, like, I had one I've seen him three times. I saw him with my nephew. He's three and a half years old. And I was like, if he comes within range, like in my head, I'm like, I might let Gavin shoot this buck. Cause he, you know, and then I saw him. Um, I have the, uh, there's a phenomenal photo on my Instagram. My Instagram account is Black Baker. There's a phenomenal photo of that buck, that sunrise photo. You can see him in the, in the, in the middle of the food plot going away. Shows how big he is. And then Melissa and I had him, um, Friday afternoon, we were sitting there and I was like, you know what? I was like, I would love to see just for you to see like a really big mature buck, just a big buck walk right down this road beside us. Um, just to see one up close and personal. And dude, sure as I'm sitting here, man, like that buck, I was like, oh my God, it's him. And dude, he walked right beside where we were sitting. Like he was within, I think at one point I had him at 25 yards. I mean, he was a, I mean, just, and she's just like, oh my God, oh my God. So, um, yeah, to answer your question with that long-winded answer, um, if you're in a, in, a, in a, having a slump, just start focusing on making good decisions. Even if they're the tough, even if they're hard decisions to make and they're not the fun decision, just, you got to make the right decisions. Like if the wind's wrong, the wind's wrong. Like, that's one thing I think that a lot of people in the hunting world, like, hope does not work. It's like, man, I sure hope the wind changes. Don't ever make a decision based on hoping something's going to happen. Look at look at the data you have. Look at the wind. Look at, you know, and, and start studying scent and barometric pressure and how scent rises in the morning and in the afternoon, scent cascades down. Um there's just, there's a lot of really cool stuff out there to study and like just spend some time learning about it. But ultimately the way, the best way to get out of a rut is just to make good decisions. That's how you avoid getting in ruts too. And that was, I had, I had somebody, I posted a picture last night um, on that observation set and, uh, and somebody commented, why would you do this in the middle of the rut? Well, that question is easy. Um, I could either choose to give up one day of, of attacking um, and one day of, you know, a chance to shoot the deer, um, or I could continue screwing up the deer. And, uh, and I chose to, to pull out and give them a break. Um, 
you know, my number one spot. That that's the one thing I want to say uh, as a tip is is if you found yourself in a rut where you've 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 you know shot at a couple deer and missed, or you've blown out a couple deer uh, because of bad stand locations or whatever. Don't be afraid. I know it might be your 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 quote unquote best spot, and that's where your shooters are or whatever. But don't be afraid to pull out and take a break and just say, you know what, I gotta let this place rest for a day or two days or a week, whatever it might be, um, and just let those deer cool off because. I, you know, I understand that's a hard decision to make. I understand that you're like, well, I want to be hunting. It's the middle of the rut. It's the, it's, you know, it's deer season. I want to be out there. Just go sit somewhere else, sit at a, at a you know, a quote unquote secondary stand or whatever it might be. Um, but give that place, just, just let it settle for a little while. Um, and that's a hard decision to make, but you know, I promise you it'll make the tail end of your season better and it, and it will take off some of that frustration uh, because I was frustrated. You know, I was in that, that frustrated, um, holy crap, what do I do, man? I've never, you know, I've, this shouldn't be this hard. Um, so, so two things that, that you have to do in those times, give your place time to just settle back down. Uh, but then B, quit overthinking it. Like, like just go back to the basics and, and look at it with, almost kid eyes of where would I hunt this place? You know, where is a good place to set up for a good wind, uh, where deer will, will come in a good, a good spot. You know, if you're using a decoy, I know that's something that you told me you started experimenting with. Um, but if you're going to use a decoy, figure out, you know, can the deer, if they come downwind of the decoy, will they get downwind of me? I mean, uh, you know, if I'm going to use a decoy, I, I hunt a stand like that one I was hunting in Oklahoma. I call it, call it the, the, the ledge. It's on a rock ledge and deer cannot get downwind of me. It's impossible. Um, so I can put a decoy out there knowing that they're, that they'll come downwind of the decoy, but they won't come downwind of me. Um, so, so just, just look at those types of things and get back to the basics and, and, and quit trying to overcomplicate it and make it fancy. And, and, uh, and, and I promise you it'll, it'll take off some of the frustration, but it also make the, the latter part of your season more enjoyable. That's, that's interesting. So I think a lot of people, like they think the basics are boring and, or maybe just not as exciting as other stuff. Like powerlifting is a good example. Like, you know, you'll have someone come into a gym and they'll start doing basic barbell work. Well, they see people doing, you know, conjugate method with, with chains and bands and stuff. And they want to graduate to that. And it's like, bro, you are like years and years away from needing to work out with chains and bands and stuff. And I think a lot of people, um, what they do is they come in and they, they, they it's, it's, it's the good idea theory. Like they're, they're bored with the basics. So they want to try and do something exotic or fancy or introduce some, strange product, you know, to try and cut corners. And it's like, you know, what happens is when you, the basics are the basics for a reason. And when you start like messing around and like cutting corners or, or trying to reinvent the wheel with creativity, like I think a lot of people run into a lot of problems that way, you know, like stick to the basics. Doesn't matter what you're wearing. The wind is everything. Scent is everything. Scent is everything. And then there's a lot of people, and this, this can be challenging. There's a lot of really good information out there about hunting, the rut. There's a lot of really good information um, about how to use deer decoys. John Dudley um, was talk, was pump, pushing deer decoys super hard last year. One, Jamie, uh, who I hunt with, was like, he's like, yeah, give it a shot. And I was like, this is the dumbest thing I have ever done in my life. Like, <laughs> like this is just stupid. Like, but I was like, you know what? begrudgingly, I'm going to go do it. I said earlier, like, I have a lot of fun hunting. Like, so when I go hunting, I want to see deer. Like, I'm not one of those guys that targets a specific buck and spends my entire season obsessing about him. I, you know, we run a bunch of cameras. I know, generally speaking, what bucks are showing themselves. I know that there's deer that are, you know, much older and much bigger, deeper, deeper in the woods, and I could spend, you know, a season and maybe get a shot at one. But I hunt food plots, I hunt feeders, I hunt um, in the woods, but I, like, I, like, I, I don't focus on one deer. Like, I'm not there yet. Like, I just like to have a good time. So for me to use a decoy in a transition stage, which is an area where you're not going to see a lot of deer activity, was was a lot for me. I was like, all right, dude, I'm going to do it once. So I took a climber and put it on a neck and pine tree, 30 yards in front of a burn pile that had a front loader right beside it. And I parked my truck on the other side of the front loader. So my truck is literally 
30 yards from me up a naked pine tree sticking out in the middle of nowhere and 25 yards in front of me. And, and so the smoke, I had smoke, which was good because it would, you know, cover scent and all that stuff. But like I had this deer decoy 25 yards in front of me and I, about five, I had not seen anything. And then about 530, I looked to my right and I see a deer going through a draw and I hit a grunt too. And that deer hung a left and walked directly to my decoy. He did not go one degree to the right. He didn't go one degree to the left. He walked in a beeline directly to my decoy and stood directly in front of it, ready to fight. And then I proceeded to shoot him in his chest. He died. The difference between that decoy, that deer, that hunting situation and turkey hunts was that deer did not gobble. If that deer had gobbled, it would have made sense to me because it was just like a turkey hunt. Like he came in on a rope. Um, damnest thing I've ever seen. I was like, man, this is, I cannot believe this has happened. I cannot believe that I am seeing this right now. And sure as I'm sitting here, dude, it worked like a charm. And then he said, thank you, John Dudley. And Jane, begrudgingly, I did. Begrudgingly. Now, yeah, dude, it was, it was, it was an interesting, it was extremely interesting. It's funny that you brought that up. Because... And actually, hold on. It's funny because that deer, I killed that deer on uh, on Thursday, two days from now, a year ago today. I'm sorry, November the 18th. It's funny that you brought that up because that's one thing that, um, you know, and I'm not telling you that it can change your season or it cannot change your season, but um, if you're calling or you're using decoys and you're having a rough season, just lay off of them for a minute. You know, maybe oh, they've yeah, already sure. associated – Maybe they've already associated your calling with with danger uh, coming from that stand, that location, that time, whatever. So maybe lay off the calls. If you're not calling and you're having a rough season, give it a shot because it can change your entire year. Um, or using a decoy, same, same with using a decoy, vice versa. If you're using it, lay off of it. If you're not, try it. Uh, because, man, I grew up, I grew up thinking like, you know, I grew up with an old school dad. You sit down, you shut up, and you don't move. And and so for me to use calls, it was like, what am I doing? I'm making noise while I'm hunting. Like I'm going to screw myself up, you know. And uh, and I, I've grunted and rattled in tons of deer. And uh, and same with a decoy. I'm like, what am I doing? They're going to know that's a fake. They're going to know. I mean, this is I'm boogering up everything. There are times like, when they do know it's fake. Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely, they know it's fake. There are also times. But the, the deer that look at that and think it's fake are not the deer that you're after. Like the big bucks that are just blind with lust, like that's what you're after. But, you know, you made a good point. Like, you know, some people listening, like, oh, I can't believe you take a day off hunting during the rut. There's people um, out there and like, dude, like maybe all they have is 25 acres or 10 acres. Maybe they don't have another place to sit. Maybe they only have that one stand. And that's what makes it really challenging for a lot of people. It's like, man, like I only have this one spot. It's like, the right decision, I know you want to be out in the woods hunting, but sometimes, man, the right decision, a lot of times the right decision is not to go hunting. You know, oh, you're not going to shoot anything sitting on the couch. That's true. But in a bad wind, you're not shooting anything in the stand. Either. And more importantly, with a bad wind, you have the ability to booger that, stand, that, that place up for four or five days. So sometimes the right decision, man, is just to stay home. Yeah, and that's, that's it's difficult sometimes, man. But, it's you know, I've really learned- difficult. I've learned, you know, I used to be the kind of guy I wanted to hunt just to hunt. And, uh, you know, oh, I wanted to. That's how I, I am that guy now. I still am that person. You know, I wanted to I just be in the woods. It could be 95 degrees and I don't have a bad wind, but I'm like, God, ah, it's deer season, you know? Um, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll get lucky. But then know? I realized, I'm like, man, these guys who, who kill giants, you're like, what are you talking? They went out one time and shot a giant. They went out two went times right all day. year and shot a giant. Because they made the right decisions, they didn't go and just booger up deer and educate deer. And and because here's what happens: if you go in all September long or all October long, and you're hunting with bad winds and hot weather, and and, and all you're doing is educating those deer, and then come November, it's harder to hunt those deer. Um, and so those guys who you're like, what in the crap? They hunted one time. Well, they're making smart decisions. They're waiting until they have the cold front with the perfect wind and the pressure rising. They're waiting until that day is perfect, and they're going in and and that that deer has never smelt them, never seen them. He's never boogered them. Um, and so I learned don't hunt just to hunt. Um, now, now hold on. Let me, let me rephrase that. Don't hunt your best spots just to hunt. Like I'll go out and sit at, you know, 
my in-laws who have five acres and, and there's a couple decent bucks out there. I'm not expecting to see a, a, sh- a giant shooter buck, but I'm not going to go to my number one spots just to be out there hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Like if that sometimes the right decision, man, is just simply not to hunt. And a lot of people can't do that because they just, they, they can't, they just, they cannot. So what's left for you this fall? Mm, let's see. So I've got, um, I've got to fly to Texas this coming Sunday. We have an outdoor hunting meeting on Monday and Tuesday. All right. Um, otherwise, I would be at the farm. I'd probably leave Thursday and drive up there, um, spend the weekend. Um, but so I'm taking this weekend off. Um, and then next weekend will be, uh, we have Thanksgiving next Thursday. So I get back, we will probably leave and go to, I get back Tuesday night, Wednesday, we're driving to Savannah, which is where I'm from, uh, to have, then we're going up to my family's farm. Uh, I'll, I'll probably take a pair of boundaries with me, but, um, that's about it on that. Um, but we'll leave Savannah on Friday and then we'll go to the farm for the weekend. And then after that, we've got an HRP event. Um, and then I've got a hunt in texas i've got another hunt in texas and then i've got a hunt down in sonora mexico um like in january for mule deer which i'm just over the moon about like completely and totally over the moon about so like it's it's a busy busy fall like you know the older i get the more the smarter i get the more i work the more opportunities open up for me oh i've got an elk depredation tag with my hands are literally on right now for Utah, so I got to get up to Utah. So, yeah, like, I mean, the rest of my year, man, it's pretty freaking crazy, dude. It's almost too much. But, you know, I'd rather be Sounds too like much. Sounds like a good time. Yeah, you know, I, and, like, man, like, honestly, like, I get as much pleasure. Um, so this past weekend, like, the whole time, like, we were up there, like, I was just, my goal was to get Melissa, my girlfriend, um, a big buck. Because she just started hunting last year with me, and she shot. Three, four, five or six deer, five or six does. Um, and the goal is to get her, like, for her to shoot, like, a big pig or um, to get her a good buck. So, like, I, I, so in Georgia, I have two tags. And, like, at our farm, it's like you don't shoot more than two bucks. So I was going to basically give her, let her shoot one, let her fill my second tag. So for me to shoot another big buck this year, it has to be bigger than the one that I shot earlier. And I just don't really see that happening. It's possible. I mean, there's deer that would score higher. I don't think we have a buck on the property that I like more from a visual standpoint based on the, the way that the type of racks that I like. So, um, but yeah, I've got whitetail, more whitetail in Georgia. I've got whitetail in Axis in Texas. I've got mule deer in Texas. I've got mule deer in New Mexico. And then I've got a cow depredation tag uh, for Melissa in Utah. Now, that's another point I want to bring up, and you just said it. Um, you talked about your expectations, you know, for the rest of the season. Um, if you're having a rough season, maybe possibly lower your expectations. Um, you know, and, and that goes back to understanding, um, you know, I, I, I understand fully and completely the amount of pressure that comes on hunters to shoot this giant, you know, Instagram-worthy deer. Um, oh, yeah. And you see a nice buck and you're thinking, oh, well, he's not a, you know, no, I'm not, I'm going to pass. Um, I had a friend tell me one time, he showed me a picture of a deer and he said, yeah, I passed on him. I think he'll be bigger next year. And I said, but I said, what's the, what's the biggest deer you've ever shot? And he said, you know, I don't remember what he said, 130 inches. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you do know that deer is bigger than 130 inches, right? And he's like, yeah, but I think he'll be more next year. And I'm like, you passed on your biggest buck to date? Hoping it'll be better yeah, next year. I, hey, I agree with that. I agree with that. Don't shoot a buck just to shoot a buck. Like, there was uh, my brother, he's like, is this deer a shooter? And I was like, well, technically, yeah, that deer's, you know, technically, yeah, you could shoot him. That deer's three and a half. I mean, my brother's never killed a buck, so we're going to let him shoot something. It's got to be over three and a half. And I was like, yeah, Mitchell's like, you can shoot it, but like, dude, that, dude, I'd rather shoot a doe than that. You know, like, there's, we got way bigger deer than that thing. Like, much, much bigger. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people, man, like they, they'd rather shoot like a, a spike or a fork horn. Like I'll shoot a doe any day of the week over an immature buck. Like I don't care. Like I'd rather not, I would rather not shoot something than shoot an immature 
but that, but now listen, I don't judge people that do that. Like I'm not sitting over here in judgment. It's just me personally. Like I've, I've shot a ton of deer in my life. And like, you know, I just like, my whole thing is like, you know, sometimes the right decision is not to hunt. And a lot of times the right decision, man, is like, just because he's got horns, man, doesn't mean that you need to shoot him. Like I, I completely agree. With, I think your friend made the right decision in letting that deer walk. And I applaud him for that. You tell him that I said, hell yeah. And just yeah. hope the damn neighbor, hope the neighbor doesn't get <laughs> yeah, um no i uh and that's here's what i just tell everybody is like if your expectations are too high you're always yeah. going to have a bad season like you'll never enjoy hunting for what it is you'll never enjoy hunting for for what it was meant to be and what it should be um so lower your expectations a bit but if a buck walks in and it gets your heart pumping stink and shoot it like that's all Let it is it man. yeah ride the lightning absolutely and don't care what anybody else says. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Like, you know, that's one of the problems, one of the, the negatives with social media is, like, being judged by someone, you know, who's like, don't judge your success by someone else's success. Like, because – and I think people that mock some other person's deer are losers. And I would say this to their face. If someone's, like, making fun of someone's, like, oh, man, that's a dink buck or whatever, man, that my deer's bigger, I'd be like, hey, man, like, you're a loser. Let me tell you why I think you're a loser. Like, you don't know that person's situation. It's like this guy, he may have only, so let's say it's a college kid. And he may have only had two days to hunt back home. He's home for the holidays. You know, he's got to go back to school. And he just wanted some meat for his freezer. And all he had the chance to shoot was a spike. So, like, like I think that I celebrate anyone's success in the field, you know, like, as long as it was done ethically and done the right way for the right reasons. Um, I'm all about that. Like, um, but like in, the, in trophy hunting, like for example, trophy hunting. Like, if you're tro- if you're trophy hunting and you're managing deer for trophy uh, for trophy deer, managing your property or the, the lease you have or whatever, like, do it to it. But like, don't put your expectations on what you view success on someone else because that's just wrong. It's like there's a lot of people like in Texas. I was talking to a buddy of mine in Texas yesterday. Texas has a ton of happens tons like a zillion happen and you get all these people that get wrapped on the axle about that and it's just like hey man like dude, you live in minnesota you've never been to texas why do you care what this person does on their private property that they own in another state in time zone from you why are you upset like this dude has a high fence he you know, maybe he's got some deer breeding program or whatever and like what he how he views success like he was just posting on his social media that he accomplished something that he wanted to do. And here you are in Minnesota, like mocking him and raising hell and talking shit on social media. Just doesn't make sense. Like I support anyone and everyone's success. Now, if you're, if you're shooting like African game in a high fence in Texas, you know, like I'm not going to be like, Oh my God, I want to come do that. But like, I'm not going to like make negative comments on social media about it. Like if you want to do your thing, you do you just do it. Just be ethical about it. Yeah, no, uh, and and real quick before we move on, I I, I want to give a uh, a plug. You you mentioned powerlifting, and you mentioned your brother now uh, on his first hunt, and we've got something really exciting mm-hmm. um, on December ninth, tenth, and eleventh. I've got a guy flying here from PA. His name is Joey Satsmary. If I say that wrong, I am sorry, uh, but he is a world champion strongman. And uh, he put out a post not too long ago of, hey, one of my goals is I want to shoot a buck, hunt a buck. And I'm like, uh, somebody put my name in there and said, you know, he might be able to help. We got connected. He's flying down here. We're traveling to Oklahoma. Uh, we're going to document the entire process, um, you know, of him uh, learning how to shoot the bow and going out and hunting and, and hopefully killing his first deer. And I'm sure he'll put me through some insane workouts while he's here. But um, it's going to be a really good time and a really fun time. He's a fun guy. Um, so so make sure and, and stay tuned for that because I, I believe that, that not only um, – well, it'd be a fun uh, kind of series to watch and listen to, uh, but also you might learn something from it. So, um, and he's a big black rifle guy. Uh, I noticed that right off the right what, off the what's bat. His, what's his name? Joey S Z A T M R A Y Satsmary. Spell it one more time slower. S C. I'm sorry. S Z A T M R A Y. Joey Satsmary, strength coach. 
Yeah. Lions Den Elite Training. Yeah, so uh, he's flying down here from PA in December, and we're going to go chase some late-season whitetails in Oklahoma uh, there at Liberty Ranch. going to be a really good time. Really cool series of podcasts to listen to uh, of a first-time hunter, and and, and we're going to do some videos. and and uh, So make sure and, and uh, check that out, guys. Uh, stay tuned for that because I, I believe it will be a really cool project. No, that's awesome, man. Like, I think I think that's an interesting thing. That's one of the things that we don't do like in life anymore. Like as you get away from elementary school and middle school and high school and college, like we stop learning new physical skills. And I think anytime someone can pick up a new physical skill, I think that's phenomenal because when we were kids, we learn new physical skills constantly as adults, we, we tend to not. And I think that, um, um, I think the guy, I think, has he ever shot a bow? Yes, he has. Okay. That's the thing about shooting a bow that, it's interesting because it's super easy, in my opinion, to learn to shoot a bow, which, and when I say that, I mean that, like, within, like, southern whitetail range, like, zero to 30 yards, zero to 20 yards. Like, I don't think it's very hard. Picking up a bow, and if you're there, if someone's there helping you, like, get you dialed in and stuff, and working with your sights and all that stuff, like, it's really easy. Um, where things get really complicated is hunting with a bow. Like, so it's like, oh, yeah, I can dial, I'm dialed it, like, you know, like, Black Rifle, we sponsor the TAC, and we have a lot of people in our company that shoot bows, TAC and stuff. And I've taken several of them hunting for the first time, and it's just a totally different animal. It's like, you know, the TAC, Total Archery Challenge, you're walking around, you're shooting the breeze, you're having a good time, you're laughing and stuff. It's like, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sit in a stand attached to a tree, and we're not going to move, we're not going to talk, we're going to be really quiet, and you probably might get cold. And then when a deer comes in, you don't just stand up and shoot it. you got to wait for the right time to stand up. Then you got to wait for the right time for it to, to stand up. Then you got to wait for the right time to draw your bow back. And then, you know, the deer moving and it's not like a stationary target. Like that's when everything starts to come into, into play. I think it's awesome. Yeah, no, it, it, it is incredible. And that's why I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, to kind of document the, the process and, and, uh, and do it with somebody who, who I believe will have a lot of fun doing it with. So also, I think we're going to put out some, some tips on, on, uh, you know, some general stuff on, uh, becoming a better bow hunter and, and a, a few exercises that you could incorporate to become a better hunter, um, a better be awesome. bow shot. So it'll be really fun. I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, before we, before we move on, let me give a quick thank you, uh, to our friends over at NZ campers. Uh, you guys have heard me talk about them quite a bit, but they are purpose built campers, uh, for hunters by hunters. They have some incredible, uh, features built in for hunters like boot dryers and, and meat storage and, and some really cool scent lock cabinets. And, and, uh, so go check out NZ campers. That's E N Z Y on social media, uh, because they make a phenomenal camper and, uh, and they're for hunters by hunters with the purpose of being used to hunt. So go check them out. Uh, they are absolutely awesome. I got to, to tour one there at, at, at one of the conventions, and they're really super cool. Um, Baker, if you had one tip, um, you know, Fred Bear is big on his field notes, so I like to ask all of my guests, uh, what's one field note you've taken over the years uh, that I can take and put in my back pocket and make myself a better hunter with? Um, how fit? Okay. Well, I know there's one I can't talk about. Um, well, I, I'm anxious to know why you can't talk about it. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll connect off one about it. Um, so I think what one thing, if I, if it were me and I was looking to up my, 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 my whitetail hunting game or, or, or just hunting game in general, specifically still hunters and whitetail hunters, understand how your scent works and understand how wind and barometric pressure and time of the day affects your scent. Okay. So in the morning, scent rises. Okay. In the afternoon, scent falls. Cause if you look at how the earth heats and cools. Okay. So in the morning, what, you know, it's like, it's coldest, right at, you know, when the sun comes up, that's when you're coldest. And that's because it's basically hammering that cold air down on top of you. And I think it's important to understand how scent works in, in depending on the day and what time of the day. Um, also, you know, like if you're sitting in a tree stand and there's no wind, you are basically, basically creating a mushroom cloud of scent below you because VOCs, which are volatile organic compounds, which is what the human, which is what we shed that animals smell. Okay. Um, and 
we said via season, if there's no wind to push and they just cascade out of a tree stand and just explode outward like a mushroom cloud on the ground. Um, and I, I, I think if people were to spend more time understanding scent and what really the factors that affect scent, I think, I think you up your game drastically. Yeah, I agree. Um, talk to me a little bit about when you're in the mountains uh, and, and, and how you quickly understand thermals are, do you have any kind of quick, uh, tip or trick to, to quickly understanding the thermals and what they're doing at the time? So the way I under, the way I learned onshore, offshore wind, wind rising, wind, wind falling, like was from surfing. So I've, I've, I've surfed all over the world. Um, and so <clears throat> the best waves are when you have an offshore breeze and you have offshore breeze in the morning because wind comes downhill and it, goes out to sea and it holds the face of the wave open. That's what creates barrels uh, versus an onshore wind, which is what ha- you can tell. I can tell when the wind switches instantaneously, like in the morning, it's like, oh, there it goes. So you got to think when you're hunting in the mountains, early, 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 your scent's going downhill. And as the sun heats the ground, your scent starts to come uphill. And a lot of people don't realize that. Like that you have to understand like your scent just doesn't dissipate, but also keep this in mind. Animals don't necessarily, they know when you've been there. They know where you've been. And um, they don't necessarily care if you've been there. What animals get freaked out about is when they know that you're there. And a big mature buck, like, he will find you if he, if he smells you. Like he, and he's not going to blow, and he's not going to run off. He's just going to slowly turn around and walk away. Um, and I think a lot of people don't understand the way scent works, how important it is. And like, just, yeah, I would Google some, like VOCs, which stands for volatile organic compound. Google that, read up on them and how your body sheds them and how you can, you know, and there's really nothing you can do to prevent them. You know, cause animals, like they basically kind of, they smell in layers. So like we walk in the house and we smell, oh, we're cooking, someone's grilling out hamburgers. Well, a deer smells in layers. A deer smells the bun. He smells the pickles. He smells the ketchup. He smells the lettuce. He smells the mustard, the mayo, the, the meat, and then the bottom bun. He smells everything. Most people don't know that. And if you want to talk about something really crazy, the way that turkeys see and hear. Each eye on a turkey operates independently. Each ear operates independently. Imagine the sensory overload coming in from that. Now, what what you said there you know, spark something in me because you see a lot of guys and they're like, I just don't get it. You know, I took my shower. I, I, I'm using good clothes or or whatever. And, and, and and people, I think, you know, because I say scent lock, um, and their maximum odor absorption. Um, yes, scent lock does absorb odor. However, it can't absorb all odor and it's not going to absorb all odor. Um, and no matter how much carbon, you know, activated carbon or, or whatever is, is in the clothes, you still have to worry about scent and there's no way to, to out trick or out cover a deer's nose, no matter how much, you know, ozone you use or showers you take or whatever, you still have to hunt the wind. Yeah. So, you you know, they do a lot of tests with dogs, you know, like scent elimination and stuff like that. And, and, and that's, it's trickery. Like, Oh man, dogs got a super sensitive nose. Well, a deer smells more than a dog does. All right. Pig smells more than a deer, which smells more than a dog. And you have to understand the drive behind a dog's drive is to please its master. Okay. A deer's drive is to survive. Deers, a deer live in the woods. Dogs do not live in the woods. So it's a horrible comparison. And it's just, it's just, it's, I call it, it excuse me, fancy marketing. But like, um, yeah, you cannot eliminate VOCs. I don't care what you do, how you do it. You'll hear people say, oh, my God, this stuff works. Like, I walked in on this path, and a deer walked right across it two hours later. Well, the deer smelled it. He knew that there was something had walked there, but he didn't care because that was two hours old, and he knew that it wasn't there anymore. So, like, that's another thing. Like, I'll give you an example. Sunday morning, I was hunting a ground blind in a pecan orchard that bordered up next to planted pines that we had about a 100-yard food plot cut right in the side of. Beautiful sunrise. If you look on my Instagram, you'll see the photo. Absolutely stunning. And the wind was like 79% right for this stand. It was blowing at about 2.30, which I, did, I didn't care if it blowed it to, uh, in that direction. You know, so if it was blowing, you know, 
north northeast like that was fine but what happened there was a little change in wind pattern the wind doesn't always blow exactly like it's supposed to it'll there'll be little gusts here and there blowing it in different areas moving your center a couple of times the wind changed and basically took my scent and blew it directly down that food plot like a runway and it just captured it there and all these deer would get about halfway down the food plot and they would they could my scent was there and they knew it and they didn't like it and so i saw a ton of deer but i didn't see any deer for very long they were all moving about and they could they could bust me so like that was a, that was a really good learning experience to see how deer um how scent works and how it can linger and all that yeah Absolutely. Uh, one more question I got for you. I am a big fan of eating wild game. Um, mm-hmm. and I've partnered with my friends over at rebel six rubs. They make nine different rubs, uh, to accompany all different sorts of wild game. Um, what is one of your favorite wild games to consume? What's my favorite wild game? Yeah, oh, that's easy. Axis. That, that, that's, that's really easy to answer that question. Speaking of access without, without question. Axis. And, and let, me, let, me, let me explain on that. There's everything about Axis. Every way you can prepare it is phenomenal. Steak, sausage, patties. Like if, if the sausage links that come off of an, a wild animal are like, holy crap, crap, I can eat these every day for like one meal, then to me, that's the ultimate test. There's not a bad piece of an Axis. Speaking of Axis, uh, if you've been following along, we have uh, we've been promoting a giveaway. And that giveaway was for an Axis hunt with me. Um, you also you won some other incredible prizes, but the big one being the Axis hunt, uh, along with the 2022 uh, Bear Archery Refine. Um, that giveaway has ended, and we've selected a winner. Go see who won this Axis giveaway, and then we'll come up with another giveaway here in the next couple of weeks to do. Uh, and you can go to the account and see what it is. Give us two weeks live. Oh, snap. Coming in That's hot. Fun. Black Rifle Coffee coming in hot. Um, so yeah, Axis is, is by far in a way my favorite. I have, I have my buddies that live in Alaska. It's called, it's called, they have a company called 60th Parallel. Okay. And they, they're phenomenal hunters, outdoorsmen, woodsmen. Um, they do some really epic stuff. Um, I was up there on a trip and they sent me home with a bunch of stuff and I had caribou, which I think is probably one of the best looking meats. Um, I think it was, I think it was mountain caribou or bear. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, that was phenomenal. It was beautiful looking meat. That was really good. I had some sheep. Um, I think it was dog. Amazing. Um, a little bit of muskox. Muskox looks really good, but it's kind of weird. The one that blew me away, man, was mountain lion. I've heard that. I've it heard tasted that. tasted like, it tasted like just souped up, perfectly delicious but you know i I, somebody um somebody shot a giant mountain lion um and it was it was on display at the pope and young organization uh, at the Mm -hmm. pope and young convention somebody said how could you hunt an animal you're not going to eat and somebody else walked by i'm like why would you not eat it what are you talking about like it's amazing and they were like no there's no way and uh and the conversation began about how good it was and uh now i am I, i i am full bore trying to hunt mountain lion it was absolutely phenomenal. I will tell you this, which is really interesting about um, about cats, is like I have seen up until this season, I have seen, and, and I'm from the South, okay? Up until this season, I've seen more mountain lions in the wild than I have bobcats, okay? Really? I've seen, yeah, it's, dude, damnest, you, I swear to you. And I've, I've, I've hunted, I've been in a deer stand hunting whitetail hundreds of days. I mean, like I have spent a lot of time chasing whitetails over the past 30 years. I am telling you, I think I've seen two bobcats in my life in a deer stand, and I have seen a bobcat every weekend this season. I'm a, I, got, I got something else to say about that. This might sound insane. I think I have seen the biggest bobcat in the world, and that was several weeks ago with my nephew. It's, it, I, it, I bet you that bobcat weighed 50 pounds. Good Lord. It was huge. Because I was like, oh, my God, look at the size of that thing. And if they're out of season, dude, and I saw it for maybe five to 10 seconds, I thought it was a coyote, a big old coyote. And I was like, oh my God, look at that coyote. And I was like, wait a minute. Oh my God, that's a bobcat. She goes, where? And I was like, well, he just went in the bushes. But it was, dude, the thing was massive. That's awesome. You need, now you need to catch it on trail camera. 
That way, everybody on Facebook would be like, "Oh my gosh, it's a Black Panther!" It's a no. It was a she was a massive bobcat. It was massive, and the other bobcat I've seen um, were a tenth the size. This thing and now now so we had a trapper come out there. I got trapped a forty two pounder. Um, I think over the summer. That's awesome, man. Um, guys, thanks so much for listening. Um, stay tuned because we're going to be putting together a giveaway with Black Rifle. Stay tuned for that, guys. Thank you for listening, Baker, so much for, for coming on, my friend. Uh, thank right, you for, for helping. Um, ma- I don't you, – you don't help make the coffee at all, but <laughs> thank you for great no, coffee. Yeah, you're welcome, man. And I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. Y'all have a great week. And, uh, again, stay tuned for, the, for, for Joey coming down to hunt on his first uh, whitetail hunt, and stay tuned for an awesome giveaway. Got some big right. things coming up. It's going to be an exciting end of the year. Later, man. 